So as we are here on the first Sunday of Lent, we're going to be starting a, a new series um, looking at different spiritual streams. You see, throughout his life and ministry, Jesus modeled several different ways of being in relationship with God. From holiness to contemplation, from compassion to incarnation, from the work of the Spirit to the sharing of the Word. This relationship doesn't take on any one single form. So we will explore together what these various streams look like and how we can use them in our own spiritual journeys. In some ways, these different streams of spirituality are something like the, the five love languages that some of you may be familiar with. And these are, these are the ways that we kind of relate to each other in our everyday relationships. And just like each of us may have a different love language that we speak, I suspect that somewhere along the way this Lenten season, we will discover that we don't all speak the same spiritual language either. So turning to our text this morning, we might remember that a few weeks ago, we celebrated the baptism of Jesus. And Jesus came to the Jordan and he was baptized and then we heard the voice from heaven claiming Jesus as the beloved son. And though that was several weeks ago, our text this morning follows immediately after that. So after Jesus was baptized and claimed by God, he left the Jordan and then was immediately went out into the wilderness with the Spirit. And it was a time when he could be in solitude to prepare himself for all that was to come in his life and in his ministry, to kind of put himself in the right frame of mind for the journey ahead. And during this time, he placed his complete trust in the divine. He trusted in God and in the Spirit to lead him during that time. See, he needed that help in order to resist that temptation of just walking away from all of it. Time to prepare himself for the ministry that he knew was going to be so hard. And this wasn't made any easier by the fact that the the tempter, Satan, the devil, whatever we want to call him, is kind of following him around through the wilderness, trying to tell him that, you know, there was another way of doing things. And so by the end of these 40 days, Jesus is tired and hungry, and I imagine he is fully aware of the ways in which he could use the divine part of himself to just make everything so much easier. This is what makes the words of the tempter so powerful. I mean, try to imagine holding within yourself the entirety of what it means to be God in the body of a mortal. All of the powers of the Creator are found within you, and after 40 days of nothing to eat, and fully aware of the rejection that was likely to take place from the ministry that was before you, I imagine these words from the tempter were exactly that, tempting. It would be tempting to make food for yourself and all that were hungry and one act of power. It would be tempting to simply make everyone believe as they should and to be in relationship with God and one another as they should. It would be tempting to use all of his divine power to simply fix it all. And as I was thinking about this, what it must be like for Jesus to be in that position, I was reminded of the character Thor in the Marvel movies. And for those of you that might have seen the 
first Thor movie, you may recall that he's a, he's a prince of Asgard. He, he is something of a god, and he's filled with all this power, and it's made him a little arrogant. And he kind of goes around doing whatever he wants, picking fights with whoever he wants, and he thinks that everybody just kind of owes him something because he's the son of Odin, and he's the prince of Asgard, and all this power is his. His strength and his position made him arrogant, and he lives only for the thrill of pleasing himself. And so if we think about this, it doesn't take much for us to see the difference here. Where Thor used his power for his own selfish desires, Jesus resisted the temptation to simply snap his fingers and make everything change. Instead of giving in to these particular temptations, Jesus holds fast to his relationship with God. Jesus places his complete trust in the path that God has called him to and shows his commitment to God's work in his life. This shows us the depth of the virtuous life, a holy life, a life of righteousness. It's in that total reliance and trust in God. It is a striving to be completely aligned with what it is that God desires for you and the world through you. It's about that relationship with God. Jesus knew all the things that he was capable of as the Son of God. He knew in his very being that he did not have to be hungry. He did not have to be despised. The tempter, you may have noticed, even used Scripture as a way to try and prove to Jesus, you can do this another way. But Jesus continues to fall back on his trust and his reliance on the things that God is doing in him. This is, again, what it means to live that life of holiness. To constantly deepen our relationship with God and to seek alignment with God's will. Holiness is not about striving for some sort of heavenly reward somewhere down the road. It's about trying to make heaven present here and now. Holiness is not a checklist that we can pull out of our pockets to kind of keep track. All right, did I do that one? How about that one? How about that guy over there? Is he doing the things he's supposed to be doing? Holiness is not about our will. It's not about our ability to accomplish anything. It's about our trust in God in the midst of our everyday lives. It's a matter of our heart. Where is our heart focused? Is it focused on something out here in the world around us? Something we can keep track of? Are we focusing so hard on trying to be perfect that we're missing what it is that God is calling us to because we're too worried about keeping track? God's undeserved grace is what grounds us. There's nothing we can do to earn it at all. It's God's grace that shapes us into the very beings that God intends us to be. It is God's grace that becomes that source of our ability to do any of the good works that we do in the world. It is God's grace that makes us holy There's nothing we can do 
It's not our deeds. It's not our actions that make us worthy of God's love. We can't go out and do all these good things and earn anything from God. But it's God's grace that leads us into the world to do those things. And for Jesus tempted in the wilderness, it was his reliance on God's love that allowed him to resist those temptations. It was his reliance on God's love that allowed him to act righteously in the midst of a time that was very trying. Now turning back to Thor, after his arrogance leads him to basically restart a war that has been over for centuries, his father Odin declares him unworthy, and he strips him of his power and he banishes him to earth. And the only way that he can regain his power is to prove himself worthy. And so Thor spends a whole lot of the rest of that movie kind of moping around trying to figure out who am I aside from this power? He's depressed, he's uncertain about his future, and he can think of nothing other than trying to figure out how to make himself worthy again. And then finally, near the end of the movie, he decides, well, I can't have my powers, but maybe I can make things a little better for other people. And he attempts to sacrifice himself in an attempt to give others a chance to escape from this thing that was going to kill everybody. And in that moment, he proves his worthiness and is again infused with all of his power. But where Jesus' sacrifice came out of his deep relationship with God, Thor's was based only on his own will, his own self-determination. And this is a really important distinction for us to make. The difference between worthiness and holiness. Though we sometimes, I think, have a tendency to kind of equate the two, they're not really the same thing. See, worthiness is about a person's own will, their own actions, their own abilities. It's about my own self-determination to do the thing that I want to do or that I think is right. Holiness is about a life lived fully in relationship with God. Worthiness doesn't really require anything external to itself in order to try and do good works. But holiness is only possible with God's grace. And we can see this at work in many of the saints of the church. A careful look at their lives, those that we consider holy, shows us that they were really not what we might consider worthy. Before he became Paul, Saul was a Jewish zealot that helped kill the followers of Jesus. St. Augustine lived with a concubine and fathered children out of wedlock before he became a bishop. Ignatius of Loyola has a notarized police record on file somewhere. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, came to the United States, to Georgia, and then he had to flee in the middle of the night because he was caught up in some legal troubles brought about by falling in love with a woman. It's hard to call any of them worthy. But we look to them because they model for us lives of holiness. You see, the word saint literally comes from the Latin word for holy. The saints model for us a life lived in relationship to God. No matter what those other things were that happened in their lives, they sought to trust and believe in God and to follow God's prompting in their lives. 
they modeled for us that example of what it means to fall back on God's grace. And as we look to their lives and others that we consider holy, we begin to see some of what it means to be holy. We must take the life of Jesus seriously. And not just the cross. We sometimes have a tendency to kind of get stuck on the cross. But it's the entirety of Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection that serves as a model for us. The cross by itself does not contain the fullness of everything that Jesus accomplished in the world. We need to take discipleship seriously, perhaps especially when doing it is the hard thing. God's grace, while freely offered, leads us into a limitless love for other people. We need to practice what it means to be holy. We need to practice the spiritual disciplines. These disciplines teach us to rely on God rather than on ourselves. Through practice and preparation, we become aware of God's prompting in our lives. And we become more reliant on God the more we focus on God's presence. We must take free, responsible, and obedient action seriously, no matter what that looks like. Holiness is not about a prescriptive set of rules that must be followed, but about sitting and listening to God and what God is calling you to in all aspects of your worldly life. Holiness does not look exactly the same for every person. It doesn't look the same in exactly every situation. And sometimes when we sit and just try and follow that checklist, we wind up causing more harm than good. Sometimes trying to follow that checklist might cause us to sit on the sidelines while other people suffer because we are just trying to keep track of what makes us holy. We must strive as church to be the church. We must avoid idolatry and must constantly show ourselves as disciples of Jesus before anything else in our world. This means we have to be careful not to place anything in God's place or make anything else bigger than God in our lives or in our church. And we must take the world in which we live seriously. As church, we don't exist just for ourselves alone. Any more than Jesus existed just for his own salvation. We are the continuing body of Jesus Christ in the world today. And we are called to show the world what that means. We have to take the world in which we live seriously. And while this may seem daunting to consider how we can put all this in practice, um, I'm using a book called Streams of Living Waters um, to uh, kind of help guide us through this season of Lent. And the author suggests three very concrete ways that we can practice holiness. First, just like we would prepare for a big game or for a play or for any other artistic performance, we have to practice. We have to practice what it means to be holy. So we train and we practice. And just as each part in a play or each position on the sports field has a different role to play, holiness is going to look a little bit different for each one of us. 
So whatever it is that you struggle with in your spiritual life, you grow by focusing on the opposite so that you can better hear God's voice speaking to you. If your spiritual concern is pride, you can focus on acts of service. If you suffer from a lack of hope, focus on prayer. If you're afflicted with addiction and compulsion, you can use fasting and abstinence. If you are unsteady in your faith, you can focus yourself on the worship of God. When we focus on that thing that's opposite from what comes easiest for us, it makes us rely on God. We learn to trust God more fully in helping us to do that hard thing than in doing the easy thing. Second, we seek out others to assist us on the journey. The longest, hardest journey becomes easier with a companion at our sides who is there to help us. It's the same on our spiritual journey. We need to seek out those who can assist us with discernment, with counsel, with encouragement, with guidance, with direction, with accountability. For some, this may be a pastor, or it may be a spiritual director. For some, this may be a Sunday school class or a life group. For others, it might be a prayer partner or some other spiritual support person. Whatever the case, it is good to surround ourselves with those who will ask us, how is it with your soul? Those who will seek to hold us accountable on our spiritual journey. And third, we have to recognize that none of us is perfect. So when we stumble, and we will, when we fall short, because we will, we confess, we get up, and we start the journey again. We continue to practice what it means to be holy so that we can learn from our mistakes along the way. We also extend that same grace to others, recognizing that others are going to stumble. Others are going to fall short. And yet we all rely on that same grace of God to help us pick ourselves back up and move along the path. As the band returns to the stage this morning, let us consider again what it means to be holy. Holy is about our lives lived in relationship to God, about attention to God's grace, which is always reaching out to us to shape our hearts. And it is about living out that relationship in the world, about acting righteously in the situations in which we find ourselves. It's about God's grace infusing our actions in the world. Holiness is not worthiness. It's not a perfection. It's not a checklist. It's not anything that we can do on our own. It's about trusting the promptings of God in the midst of our everyday lives. It's about hearing God speaking to us here, now, today, and not simply in the words of the past. God speaks to our hearts still if we will listen. God calls to us, guiding us still today. And God seeks a relationship with us, each and every one of us, a relationship that we get to live out in our relationships with other people.
That's why I invite us today. Let us seek to grow deeper in love with God and all that God is calling us to do.